Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Heads up is uh, a pretty common terminology nowadays. And I think I often say to somebody, hey, just want to give you a heads up. And uh, we do that because it's kind of like I want to give you a, a warning about something or give you some information that you would need. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a, a curious terminology and I, I did wonder where it came from. So I did a bit of uh, searching on the net. And the first historical reference that I could find was in regards to uh, an army going into battle and it's from the 19th century and this is the quote that I found they marched and I amongst them to face the enemy heads up step firm thus it was quick time march so in this context it is a posture of confidence going into battle In the early 20th century, it became a frequently used phrase in the US in the game of baseball. And they would say, heads up, and it was kind of a warning to the fielders about a particular play that would happen. Uh, And so, be ready. And then uh, today, uh, in our culture, it is a commonly used phrase in the way that I introduced that, you know, I'm just giving you advanced warning, giving you information about something. But technologically, more and more we use that phrase as well. Aircraft, modern uh, motor cars uh, have a heads-up display. So it's an image that's reflected onto the inside of the windscreen so that you're not looking down but rather still looking uh, forward and receiving the information that you need. So we have a heads-up display. So heads-up means... Uh, that I'm engaged. It means I have an awareness of what's coming. I have an awareness of what's going on around me. What's the opposite of heads up? Well, uh, not rocket science, it's heads down. And here's the thing. Today, because of these things that we have in our pockets, we live constantly with a heads down posture. Uh, and, and I think it's a, a little bit more sinister than we probably imagine. We live with very, very little situational awareness. Uh, it, it just, I, I'm just fascinated. A- Any time that we are in an environment where we are forced to wait, even if it's just lining up waiting for your coffee at your local bakery... People can't wait for 10 seconds without pulling their phone out and immediately being distracted. And we take this heads down posture. Heads down means that I'm not situationally aware. Heads down is the reason uh, otherwise smart and intelligent people uh, run into doors and posts and out in front of traffic with zero situational awareness. Heads down is not a posture of confidence. It's not a posture of interaction with others. 
it's a posture of disconnection and it's a posture of constant distraction. Technology is not making us smarter, it's making us dumber. Which is why people walking along the street run into posts. Friends, don't waste your life living life constantly in a heads-down position. I think the devil absolutely loves it when we walk around all day in a heads-down position, constantly distracted with our eyes down. It disconnects us so much from what is going on around us. And I think ultimately there's a sense where it also disconnects us from God. I'm going to give us some really, really powerful advice from Scripture. And all of these Scriptures are to get our eyes off ourselves, to get our eyes off our circumstances, our eyes off our problems, and to turn our attention to God. Now, I've deliberately placed these scriptures over modern day postures that I hope help illustrate the total disconnect. Here's Psalm 25 and 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Psalm 86 and 4, give me joy, O Lord, because I lift my soul to you. Psalm 28 and 2, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your most holy place. Lamentations 3 and 41, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Psalm 121 and 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I love this one from Proverbs 4 and 25. Keep your head up. Keep your head up, your eyes straight ahead and your focus fixed on what is in front of you. Take care you don't stray from the straight path, the way of truth and you will safely reach the end of your road. Great advice from the writer of Proverbs. Keep your head up. It's good advice. Lift your head. The truth is for so many people that lift up, be it our head, our hands, our voice, our eyes, it is the opposite posture, the opposite gesture to what so many people actually take in life. It's the posture that we often, it's the opposite of the posture we often take in regards to God. Because the devil loves for us to feel that we are unworthy of God. He loves to magnify all the things that bring shame, that bring embarrassment, that remind us of our failure and our past and our sin. He loves for us to live under the weight of that. Because when we live under the weight of that, it causes a disconnect from God. And so we begin to cower in God's presence, not with eyes up, with heads up, with voices raised and arms, hands raised, but in shame and guilt and humiliation. 
The devil loves for us to run and hide from God just the way that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when sin first entered the equation. They were filled with shame and so they too tried to hide from God. The devil says, you're unworthy, so hide. Be ashamed. Be embarrassed. Feel unworthy. And yet the psalmist encourages us to do the opposite, to lift up our heads, lift up our voices, lift up our eyes, lift up our hands. And I want to dig into Psalm 3 because it is a really interesting context that many of us perhaps can relate to. Psalm 3 written by King David in a fairly... um, Uh, Fairly tragic circumstances, really. Uh, David often found himself fleeing for his life. But the background to Psalm 3, he is fleeing yet again. But sadly, this time, which makes it so tragic, is actually fleeing from his own son. His own son, Absalom, who uh, wanted to take his father out. His own son, Absalom, who had raised an army to come against his father. And so here he is fleeing from his own son. You can check out the whole story in 2 Samuel 15. But here he is in the midst of this situation and he pours out his heart to God in Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. I lay there and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I love verse 3 particularly. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a position where you're just overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. So overwhelmed that it's kind of hard to be positive about anything. If that kind of resonates with you this morning, maybe even in this moment, you are feeling there's so many things in my life that are so threatening. So many things that uh, I find so overwhelming. I want to encourage you this morning. God is the lifter of our head even when we feel down and out. You might be going through a time of despair or a time of discouragement, a time of distress. Or even as David was, he was in absolute peril. He was in fear of his life. David praised God in the midst of that with these words, you are a shield around me, you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. Friends, no matter how bad your circumstances are, God wants to be your shield. And David says, you bestow your glory on me. And in context here, that word glory 
is talking about substance. It's talking about weight. It's talking about significance. And here's the thing today. People measure their own significance using all the wrong measures. We think that significance is about how much money I have in the bank. We think significance is about the popularity that I have, the position in life that I hold, uh, or fleetingly, the number of likes and clicks that I get on social media. That has nothing to do with the kind of weight of significance that David is talking about. He's saying, I find my worth in you, God, my significance in you. You bestow your glory upon me. I'm significant because I belong to God. And it's a beautiful picture. David finds his security. He finds his worth in God. And not only does he shield us and bestow his glory, his significance on us, but the cool thing is God can totally change how we feel no matter what's going on around us. God can change our reactions and our responses to the circumstances that we face. He can help us view them through a different lens. It is God and God alone that can, in the midst of any trial, any hardship, totally change our perspective, totally change our emotional response to the things that we face. How does he do that? By lifting up our heads. And as we lift our heads towards God, our perspective changes, our view changes. This is a supernatural work of God. I, I can't adequately describe it to you or explain it to you. I don't understand it, but it's real. That in the midst of the greatest storms, we can find a peace that we can only describe as not making sense because it's supernatural. Philippians 4 and 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I love this. Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that makes sense in the natural. The peace of God which trans transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, the truth is not one of us is immune from hardship. Not one of us is immune from trouble. Not one of us is immune from tax attacks from our enemy. And I have said on many occasions the mark of spiritual maturity in the life of a Christian is not a lack of trials, a lack of troubles. The thing that shows the maturity of faith that we walk in is how we actually respond when those troubles and trials come because they will come. For many people, when they face difficulties, they face troubles their natural response, fully understandable, is to feel defeated, to feel discouraged. We go into this heads down position and God says, no, 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 I want to lift your head. I want to lift your head. I want to shift your perspective. David, in this particular season in his life, where he pens the word to Psalm 3, he had plenty of reasons 
to feel incredibly discouraged by the situation he found himself in. His own son wanting to kill him. So how did he respond? The first thing he does is not pretend his problem doesn't exist, just to confess his problem to God. Verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And David begins this psalm by going to God and just being totally real about the circumstances he was facing. And I tell you what, there's a great lesson for us. We've just got to be real with God. Just be real with God about the difficulties, the troubles, the worries, the concerns. Just be real. You don't need to pretend before God that you've got it all together because God knows you better than you know yourself. He just wants you to be real with Him. He also wants you to know that no problem is too insignificant for God. People often say, oh, well, you know, God's got bigger things to worry about than my little problems. No, 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 no. That's foolishness. So often we make the mistake of trying to work out everything in our own strength, with our own wisdom, with our own emotional energy. We pour everything into it and we come to the end of all of that stuff. And finally, that's when we go to God because we've got no resources left. Writer of Proverbs again, uh, chapter 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And if we can make that the starting point to go, you know what? I don't have what it takes to resolve this situation. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the wisdom it takes. I don't have what I need to be at peace with whatever's going on around me right now. I need to take it to God. And here we have David beautifully taking this to God. Not only had his son turned against him, but his son had raised up a whole army to overthrow him. He says, many rise up against me. But his problems didn't stop there. David's own friends had also turned against him. Telling him, listen, David, nobody's going to help you right now. Not even God. And and you know, the reality for us, sometimes when we're going through tough times, we can get some pretty bad advice. In the Old Testament, many of us would be familiar with the story of Job, who, without going into detail had the worst day of his life. You think you've had a bad day? Look at what happened to Job on his worst day. And he had friends that came and they sounded so godly, they sounded so wise and they gave him all kinds of advice and all kinds of reasoning as to why he was suffering in the way that he was. And they said things like, well, you know, your problems are a sign that you have sinned against God. Your problems are an indication that you have done something so incredibly bad to deserve what it is that you're facing right now. Even his wife in Job 2 and 9 said, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's not good advice. And thankfully, Job didn't take the advice. So for David, in the midst of discouragement, 
in the face of fear, the first thing he does, and it's a great key for us, just be real. I, God, I'm just confessing to you what it is that's troubling me right now. I'm giving to you my problems. The second thing he did was he trusted God in spite of his circumstances. He trusted God in spite of his circumstances. Verse 3, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. That almost sounds like a prayer of thanksgiving for a breakthrough that God has bought. But he's had no breakthrough yet. He's confessed the problem and thanking God in the midst of the problem, knowing that God is all he needs to face the problem. But you, O Lord. And David's whole attitude shifts from, first of all, I'm telling God all about my problem. I'm making my troubles known to God. Not that God didn't know the trouble that he was in. But we've got to come to that place of confession before God, acknowledging the trouble that we're in ourselves. And so I've gone to God. I've given him the list of problems and then I say, but, because my prayer doesn't stop at complaint. My prayer shifts with the word, but, but you, oh God, here's what I'm facing, but God, you're bigger than this. God, you're greater than this. And his whole, his whole attitude changes as he stops focusing on the problem and starts focusing on God. There's another great lesson for us this morning. And David's heart changes from discouragement and sorrow to confidence and renewed faith. David is making positive confession. And I'm not saying that in a humanistic, you know, uh, hyper-faith kind of way. He's just claiming scripture. He's claiming the promises of God to be true. And he strongly reinforces three profound, wonderful truths. First, first one was that when nobody else would help, God was his shield. That in the face of uh, incredible danger, a whole army out to take him out. He realized, God, you're my shield. Only you can give me the protection that I needed against the attack that was going to come. God shielded him. He also encourages himself with a second truth. That when nobody else would encourage him, God would encourage him. Head bowed, head down is a posture of defeat. Head lifted is a posture of victory. Head bowed is often a posture of shame and of guilt. A head lifted is freedom and forgiveness. A head bowed is often a response to grief or to sorrow. And when God comes in and comforts, a head is lifted. And David reminds himself that the Lord is the lifter of my head. The third truth that David declared was this. You're a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me, lift my head. 
To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. And David is saying, you know what, God? You've been faithful in my past. You, you will be faithful in my future. And, and God, I'm trusting you're going to be faithful right now in the midst of what I'm facing. You will answer me from your holy hill. I don't know what that answer is going to look like, but God, you will answer. David cried out to God because he knows that God hears him. And we've got to know, we've got to have the confidence, friends, that God hears our prayer. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what posture am I assuming in life right now? Am I defeated, head down? Am I overwhelmed, head down? Am I discouraged, head down? Am I struggling with grief, head down? We need to, as David did, say, but God, you are the lifter of my head. James 4 and 10 reminds us, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And there it is again. He will lift you up. So in response to his circumstances, David simply tells God what's going on. He declares God's truth. He continues to affirm the promises of Scripture, God's promises over his life, that God is faithful, that he hears me. And then David simply trusts himself to God. And I find this remarkable. Verse 5, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Can you imagine the weight of the reality of his circumstances? Can you imagine the stress that David was under? There is an army, tens of thousands against me. And in the midst of that, he says, I sleep and I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I don't know about you, uh, I've never known what it is to have tens of thousands uh, in an army drawn up against me to take me out. Uh, I've had a couple of nasty emails that keep me awake at night. And David says, I sleep. You'd think the first thing to go would be the ability to rest, knowing of this opposition. But he slept. His life was in danger. His own son wanted him dead. His whole kingdom threatened to be overthrown. Friends and family turned against him. The weight of that is remarkable. And David was able to sleep because he fully trusted himself to God. Which says something about his faith. I mean, that's a great demonstration of faith to be able to trust God in that measure. But the truth is, the same sustaining power, the same grace, the same peace that David knew and experienced, the same confidence that allowed him to sleep in the midst of terrible times is available to every one of us right now. Words of Jesus in Matthew 11 and 28, and I'll invite the team to come back. 
He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then there's one final footnote in this psalm that I find truly fascinating, but also an incredibly healthy response to circumstance. In the midst of all that he faced, he lifted his plea to God. But he also continued to pray to intercede for others. The last two verses, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. Ah, and God, may your blessing be upon your people. I find that remarkable. David, in this situation, with odds stacked against him, aware of the dangers, pours his heart out to God, trusted in God to deliver him, but he's still got a heart for others in the midst of all of that. I find that remarkable. There's a great lesson in that as well. And it's a lesson that I often share with people going through extended periods of deep, deep trial. And the lesson is, don't stop thinking about, don't stop serving, don't stop praying for others. In fact, it may be that in doing those things, in still thinking about others and still reaching out to others, in still uh, interceding for others, to be able to do that even in your darkest hour is often the very strategy that will lift us out of despair. Two things, in fact. First of all, taking your focus off yourself and onto God, which David so beautifully demonstrates. But as well, putting your focus onto others. So as I wrap this up to those that might be feeling that you are in a season of trial, maybe even feeling under attack. My hope and my prayer is that through the truth of God's Word, you might allow God to be the lifter of your head. That following David's example, we can just be real, just go to God and be real about the stuff that you find overwhelming. God, here's what I'm facing. I mean, you know it, God, but I've got to be real with you. I've got to be transparent in this relationship. It's okay to tell God you're struggling. It's okay to tell God you're feeling discouraged. But then, as David did, we say, but... In spite of that, God, you're the lifter of my head. In spite of that, God, you are my shield. In spite of that, God, I I know I can trust in your goodness. I can be confident, God, in your ability. And God, as I trust in you, I pray that you would lift my head, shift my perspective, 
change my field of view. And I think as we can learn to do that more and more, I think as Sarah said at the start, you know, we're on the start of a new year and we always want the new year to be free of the troubles that the previous year had. Uh, Who knows, that's a myth. But that we face a new year, not anticipating there's going to be hurdles to face, but to be real about the fact that that's a strong possibility. And to say, but in the midst of that, I'm not going to allow it to force me into a heads down position of shame, pain, guilt, grief. That I'll allow God to be the lifter of my head. Because as I lift my head to Him, perspective shifts. I find that courage and that confidence to face whatever I need to face, whatever I need to walk through. Because God goes with me. He goes before me. And he's the lifter of my head. Does that make sense?